0: And uh, your great defense. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter three, verse eight, through section four to uh, chapter four, verse six. And in the uh, latter part of this are some of the most difficult uh, passages to explain. So I want to go through them carefully. I think that there are some very good explanations to help you in your spiritual life. But uh, we've seen that we have such a tremendous salvation. It's a a wonderful thing, this incorruptible inheritance, and we're protected so that we'll, we'll get it, and therefore we should be living holy lives. And this means that we have a great calling to be prophet, priests, and kings unto the Lord. And that means that we need to properly have our relationship. Now, I didn't mention last hour, I should have. Very rich for you is to take out the Westminster Confession of Faith The larger catechism. Look at the larger catechism and those sections of what are the duties of the sins against and uh, etc. for superiors to inferiors, inferiors to superiors and equals. It's a different world. It's a world of structured uh, relationships. It's a, a world that reflects more carefully, I believe, the biblical construct than Modern egalitarianism. We live in a society that is classless, that is authorityless. It's a society that wants to homogenize everything, but of course, it's become schizo because now everybody has to be ethnically and politically correct. So what we used to try to homogenize now separates, and we can't figure out which it is. We get shot for for doing both. Uh, but let's look at this next section. Not only do we have a great salvation and a great calling, but your great defense. What is your defense when you're hauled into court? Let me ask you this personally. Have you ever been stopped by the police? Uh, How many of you have been stopped by an officer? Woo, my word. Lord, let's repent right now. (laughs) The OPC is not... They're not godly drivers, Lord. Okay. That was unanimous. And some of them don't even have their license yet and they've been stopped like this. Oh, boy. Okay. Ooh. Not only did we get, get kicked out of camps for smoking and not doing the rules years ago, now we don't follow the traffic rules. Okay, so... Okay, you've had that experience. Remember how you felt? <laughs> Blood pressure went up and you started sweating and getting a little clammy. What was your defense? Everybody it. Oh, you got a ticket for that one. I know... Everybody's doing it. You know the officer gave you a ticket for that, right? Maybe you little kids. Have you ever been stopped? My mom and dad. Did you do that? Well, maybe some of you even had worse. You've actually been in court. So you know the, you know what I'm getting at. How did you react? Angry. Okay, there's one reaction. Angry. I'm innocent. Okay. I'm guilty. Ah, did you get the ticket? You got the ticket. Well, okay, let me tell you, uh, an incident in my life, a uh, uh, sad incident, but uh, I, was, I did a California stop. You know, you, you roll through it. And I turned a right-hand turn, and of course there was nobody there. There really wasn't. I mean, it was clear, I could see. There was nobody I could have possibly hit. It was a three-way, it wasn't a four-way. And there was an officer and he pulled me over. And he said, did you see the stop sign? I said, yes, sir, I did. He says, why didn't you stop? I said, sir, I have no excuse. He says, will you ever do it again? I said, no, sir, I will stop at that stop sign. <coughs> and you know, this is Scipione's this is sin. I have rolled through other stop signs, <coughs> but I have never rolled through that particular stop sign again. I have kept my word to that officer to this day. And in fact, I usually don't go that way, so I don't have to pass it. <clears throat> you You can take him out of the fundy, but you can't take the fundy out. No, okay. Uh, okay, you see? There's the response. Now, now here, Proverbs 29.9 says an interesting thing. When a wise man has a controversy with a foolish man... The foolish man either rages or laughs, and there's no rest. So the foolish response to pressure is to kind of mock the other person, laugh them off. Ha! It was nothing, officer. Oh yeah? (laughs) Or to rage. What's the proper response? Let me me just leave this thought with you. How do you respond to pressure? Pressure squeezes the extraneous out of you and the extract that remains is you. The extracted you after pressure. And sometimes it's not very pretty. Let's go back to 1 Peter and read this section because Peter really goes, again, very, very practically and talks about what do you do when you are either literally or metaphorically hauled into court. 1 Peter chapter 3-4-6 To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. <clears throat> Pretty captures it, doesn't it? Not returning evil for evil, <clears throat> or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. So obviously this could go up with the previous section. But. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing and then he quotes the Old Testament, Psalm 34, "...let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. And let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." Peter, wrapping up that, goes on to say, Look, and who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks to you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better if God should will it so that you should suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also He went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to Him. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God." For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation. And they malign you. But they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the Gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. And i let's go over this. It's, again, there are some difficult passages, some pretty straightforward. The first thing that Peter reminds us is that it's not our job to retaliate. We're not to retaliate. Okay? Verses 8 through 12 of chapter 3. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. So, what is our attitude? We ought to be harmonious. We ought not to try to get even with people. We really ought to be humble and kind-hearted. That doesn't mean you let other people get beaten up or raped and become a total pacifist and don't do anything. What it means is that your attitude is one of seeking brotherly kindness and love. Now, let's face it, there are certain situations which Peter will get to. It's like David with Saul, right? Could David be at peace with Saul? No, there was no way that David could ever be at peace with Saul. Why? Because there was only one thing that would satisfy Saul. And what was it? David's blood. That was the only thing. So there wasn't anything that David could do except take a knife and cut his own throat that Saul would have have been happy with. So there are those rare circumstances we're going to get to. But but the attitude of the Christian, we ought to have this attitude. Harmonious, sympathetic, understanding, uh, feeling with people, uh, brotherly, kind-hearted. Uh, and it's this attitude. Let's flip back quickly to a few of the Proverbs. You know this, but it's good to reinforce this. I think, I think some of these Proverbs... And again, I'm preaching to myself, particularly in reading these. But saw uh, Proverbs 15:1, a gentle answer, what, turns away wrath, but a painful or harsh word, literally painful word, stirs up anger. I've seen that time and time again. I, 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 I talk about myself killing people with the Bible. You know, I can hit them over the head with the truth. I call it speaking the truth in hate. You know, because you can do that. You can take the truth and really nail someone. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word, a painful word, stirs up anger. Same chapter, verse 18. A hot-tempered man, that's me, stirs up strife, but the slow to anger pacifies contention. You can't be a peacemaker going, oh yeah? Yeah? you idiot to pacify it doesn't mean to roll over play dead and not you know believe in the truth or compromise or lie but the way don't forget the timing and the manner that you say something is almost it's not as as crucial as the content the timing and the tone and the manner in which you know it's it's a it was a hard revelation to me one day to see some home movies that my parents had made. And if you'd ask me, do you know that you grew up with a temper? I'd say, I know that. But I was never prepared to see what I saw in that home video. The anger, I mean, it was just clear. It was the day, the day my sister graduated from Westchester State and it was some silly little thing. My parents wanted to take my picture, Right? You could just see the anger and just impatience just in the body language and everything. So absolutely clear. Absolutely clear. You see? Uh, and, and often I'll say to my wife, I'm doing right, I'm doing well, aren't I? And she goes, C+. Plus. <laughs> Which means I can see you're trying, but the quality isn't great. So, the way you say things and the timing can be just as crucial. Proverbs 25:15 By forbearance literally by length of anger a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue breaks bones A soft tongue breaks bones You know we talked about that tactical warfare there's a picture in my mind, and, and I'll and probably never outgrow it. It's where my wife and I met, a place called Hilltop Ranch back in Maryland. It was a teenage ranch, and it's very interesting place. And they had this one game that they did down at the uh, pool, and they got two big uh, inner tubes from truck tires, and then they put a platform on top of it, you know, put the uh, strips that you do to get gripping, and then they would have two kids, and they would and they they put a rope between those two, and then ropes on the end and they'd stretch them across the pool and hold them so that they'd stay their distance and then, and then the game was jousting you know two, two kids usually a guy and a guy or a girl and a girl would get up and they'd have two poles with a boxing glove and pads on it and they would try you know it was fun try to knock each other off and they said, say what's that have to do with anything I'll never forget 98% of the time it wasn't the person that won that knocked the other person off who knocked them off themselves, exactly right. Because they'd wind up to try to hit the other person, the other person would move, and <laughs> off they'd go. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're all wet from the swimming pool anyway, you know, you, you hit them a stray blow and it would glance off, you see. And that picture rides in my mind, you see, the soft answer is what will really break the other person. And sometimes in judo, or fencing, or other sports, it's that fake that gets the other person leaning the wrong way, and, and you beat them. See, it's their own weight. It's their own anger that does them in. So I think they capture what Peter is trying to say. Now, he goes on to quote Psalm 34, and the bottom line is this. Why should you bless other people? When someone cuts you off, something small, someone cuts you off on the freeway, and I have learned that you can live on the California freeway. Okay? And people shoot at you up in L.A. Down, down, they don't do that in San Diego. They just run you over, okay? Okay. <laughs> they want uh, tanks. Yeah, that's right. Forget it. Uh, thank you for that reminder. Yes, uh, that's right. I forgot that we just recently had a guy uh, drive a tank down the freeway. Okay. So, how do you live <laughs> in a tankless society? Okay. Um. Boo. Okay. Okay, you gunned me down on that one. I got it. <laughs> Yours was a high caliber joke. I get it. Okay. Now back to back to the scriptures. When the person cuts you off, what do you do? Do you bless them? And I have found that there are two or three things that the Lord taught me coming to California. One, I do some of the same wicked, dumb things. Okay. Secondly, uh, being angry. Never accomplishes anything. Yeah. So I have come to start praying for people on the freeway, because I know some of them will go home and beat their wife. I'm serious. The way when they get so angry, people have tried to cut me off, and I've just you know tried to be safe. And they literally have tried to flip me off, and almost had an accident, you know, going off the freeway while they're trying to flip me off. It's very interesting. Them trying to flip me off when I'm on the freeway and they're driving. And I know that that guy is going to have an accident. Of course, it's equal rights in California. And I've been flipped off by women too. Okay, um, so what do you do in that situation? You pray for them to despitefully use you. Why? God has called me to inherit a blessing and therefore I need to give a blessing and even times to people that don't deserve it. So the bottom line is, if I want to inherit my blessing, I need to be one who is willing to give it. So I must not retaliate. The second thing that uh, Peter points out here in this chapter, back to uh, 1 Peter 3, is this. Not only your attitude of being harmonious and peace-loving, etc., but this, Uh, verses 13-17. through You must not panic. The worst thing that you can do in warfare the worst thing that you can do under pressure is panic, right? What is the typical response of a human being that gets engulfed in flames? Run. And what's the worst thing in the world? To run. See, all your instincts at that point are wrong. The person who gets bitten by a rattlesnake, what's the worst thing they can do? Run around. Why? Because I believe that that poison is, is, is systemically through your, through your bloodstream. So you're pumping the poison through you faster. But what person bitten like that can say, lie down, be calm, and we'll get you to the hospital, right? See, the response mechanism is wrong. If we panic, we probably will retaliate. See, and Peter tries to get us to focus on that. Most people won't harm you if you're zealous for good. Now, most of us, I have to confess, myself included, play it being good the way kids play with food on their plate that they don't want. You've seen it, right? You've given your kids peas. So they play ice hockey with them. Eat your food. You know, they're not interested in eating that food. So they play with it, right? So most of us, are we really zealous for being good? No. You know, we do a few things you know, here or there that are good, and then all of a sudden we get a Mormon neighbor that does the same thing and we kind of ashamed. We kind of go, boy, that, that's accomplishable by the flesh. See? If you're really zealous for what's good, most people won't harm you. Now, there is the fact, though, the rare but the contradictory fact that most people won't do that. And I think that's probably true in America today. But there are people who will harm you because the more that you're zealous for good, the more it exposes them. And so it really becomes an embarrassment to them. So there are rare exceptions. Now, how do you handle that and not panic? It's really interesting that Peter points to a passage of a prophet. Let's go back to Isaiah 8 because that's what he quotes. When I do the basic counseling course... And, and apply some of it to fear, this is one of the passages. Now, how would you like to be Isaiah? Isaiah is told, Isaiah, I want you to go out, and I want you to stand before the king and tell the king what i 'm telling you. Now, you know what you know oriental monarchs are like, you could lose your head you know if they if you know they don't like counselors that haven 't been chosen. you know so one of the functions of the prophet is to be a counselor. To the king. Now let's pick it up here in uh, verse 9. Be broken, O peoples, and be scattered, shattered, and give ear all remote places of the earth. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying. Now here's the way the Israelites were talking. You are not to say, it's a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. Conspiracy theories have been around a long time. And you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And He shall be your fear and He shall be your dread. Then He shall become a sanctuary, but to both the house of Israel, a stone of strike and a rock to stumble over, a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many will stumble over them. Then they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. And that, of course, is picked up in the New Testament. Christ is a, a, a rock of stumbling. Okay? Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. And I will wait for the Lord who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob. I will even look eagerly for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me for signs and wonders, quoted in Hebrews, in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, consult the mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn. And they will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished and it will turn out that when they are hungry they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, gloom and anguish and they will be driven away into darkness. But there will be no more gloom for her. It was in an anguish in earlier times It was treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. And then of course you go into the passage of Christ the great light. You know as it's Now, Peter takes this and applies it and says, don't be afraid in that rare case where you suffer for doing what's good. How do you get through it? We saw in the last chapter, and trust yourself to God. But even more particularly, make Christ your sanctuary. That's what he's saying. Sanctify the Lord Christ. He's playing on this fact that here Isaiah was told, don't be afraid of what these people are afraid of, you, in fact, make the Lord your sanctuary. He'll protect you. Run into Him and hide. There's the key. When you have to get up and you have to testify that you're a Christian, whether it's you know in the military or whether it's in, in business or whether it's in school or wherever, and someone says, well, you're one of those, aren't you? You're one of those right-winged fundamentalist freakos, aren't you? You are? Okay. <laughs> don't go to Lent, the 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 We'll have a little uh, update. Okay? okay? You don't run into rush and hide, you know. You don't say, hey, there are other conservatives out there. You are to make Christ your sanctuary. It's only in Christ that you can run in and be safe. That's where the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard you hearts and minds. Peter goes on. Let's go back to there. Peter says, Not only are you to sanctify Christ as Lord, aye, aye, sir, you are the commanding officer. You tell me to stand up and do what is right and I'll do it. You're to be ready with a defense, an apologia, from which we get apologetics. <clears throat> apology today means what? Oh, shucks, I'm sorry. You know, Apology originally meant a defense. When it was originally used in Greek, it literally meant in a court. In Athens, it was very interesting. You could not hire a lawyer to give your defense. You had to give it personally. When you hired a lawyer, you know what he was? A speechwriter. That's what the lawyer did. The lawyer helped you write your defense, your apologia, your apology. And then you stood up in front of the judge and you gave your own defense. And that's the picture. You're to be ready with a reasoned, a well-reasoned defense of why you have hope within you. The hope of the resurrection. See, it's going to be rare, but when you do suffer for righteousness, you need to be ready to tell people why you are willing to suffer. And that means preparation. I wonder how many of you have sat down and written out a defense of why you believe in Jesus Christ see see Alan won't be there and Dwight won't be there and Jay won't be there when you get hauled into court? Well, I hope they would be, but different story. They may not be able to give you a defense, and in our system, you may not be able to have somebody who's not legally uh, allowed to practice before the bar. Testimony. Testimony. And then you have to have a life to back up that testimony. Beloved, you're going to panic if you're not ready. Now, some of us have lived a long time, and we so isolate ourselves from non-Christians. Now, there's a legitimate, you know, when you become a Christian... You pull away from the world. It's understandable. Your friends become Christians. But, you know, there are neighbors. There are relatives. And more and more, in a hostile environment in the United States, you're going to have to give a reasoned defense. And I would plead with you to do that. A good, prepared defense and a godly life to back it up, you should be able to walk in there, even though you'll be trembling you should be able to say, I can hide in Christ. Why? Because I don't have anything to be ashamed of and I'm defending my Lord. Now, you might get killed for that, but you'll be called blessed. Okay? Now, it's rare, but uh, you know I've always thought since I was a little kid, even before I was a Christian, that I'd go up in flames someday. And With my mouth, I have no doubt that someday I'll probably go up in flames. Okay? probably not for righteousness, but for opening my mouth at the wrong time. I believe that we will live to see the day, if there is not a third great awakening, that we will see persecution in the United States. Okay. I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, but I, I, I believe it will be inevitable. It will be inevitable. And uh, I think a lot is riding on this. Okay, First, don't panic. Don't retaliate. Secondly, do not panic under the pressure. Third thing, and now here comes the passages that are difficult, and see if I can help you understand these, 17 through 22, and then 1 through 6. Okay? Um, <clears throat> for it is better if God should will, so will it that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. That's fairly clear. For Christ also died for sins once for all. That's clear. He died for sins once. Not many times. Hebrews picks up the same thing. Once for all. It's finished, he says. The just for the unjust. Same thing that Paul says. Jesus was just. We are unjust. Notice the theme he's playing on. Okay, you're going to go for unjust suffering. Well, just remember, you're the benefit of a person who was just when you were unjust. In order that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh. That means literally Bodily, he was put to death. It wasn't a morality play, it was a literal death, but was made alive, and some will say in the spirit, small s, others, capital S. I think it should be capital S. He's made alive by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so it's reflecting on the literal death and the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now comes some of the which seems to be convoluted in some people's minds, and they've come up with very strange interpretations. So, in which, that's if, in which, small spirit, by whom it could be translated. And I think it should be by whom. So, he's put to death in the body. The Holy Spirit raises him from the dead. By whom, referring to the Holy Spirit, okay, Also, he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. What in the world is being talked about? What it is, is that Christ, and remember all through the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is often called the Spirit of what? Spirit of Christ, exactly. Earlier in the book, the Spirit of Christ in them, the prophets were looking. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ that does the work of Christ. So Christ... The second person of the Trinity through the work of the third person of the Trinity was doing what? He went and made proclamation to what? The spirits that are now in prison. Who's that referring to? I believe 20 says what it is. Who were, once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. He's talking about the people in that age who rebelled against Noah's preaching and the preaching of Noah was what? By the Holy Spirit. Okay. Whether he was conscious of that or not, reflecting back, Peter says, it was the Spirit of Christ, this one who died in the you know, bodily death, was raised by the Spirit. That same Jesus through the Holy Spirit preached to that prior generation okay, whose spirits are now in prison okay, because they were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few that is eight persons who were safely through the water doesn't that read very simply see some people say oh this is Christ went into Hades after you know after he was crucified and he went down into Hades and he preached to the people under the old covenant and they were all see that that convoluted stuff it comes out that some people said that there's a second chance you know Christ now goes to preach to the spirits of people who are now in prison? The point is the preaching was passed in Noah's day. It's not while the spirits were in prison. See, The preaching was through the Holy Spirit through Noah. Preached to them then, and their spirits are now in prison because they rebelled. What is Peter really doing? He's trying to remind them it's always been the same. People who rebel against God's message pay for it because we need to have the patient reminder Judgments coming upon them. So this isn't some second chance gospel. The early patristic fathers took this passage and tore it to shreds, and, and had Christ doing all sorts of uh, spiritual conniptions in hell, and, and, and have had people like uh, Pinnock go to this passage and say, "See, people get a second chance." I don't know if you know that. In some general evangelical circles, people are trying to say now that people who never heard the gospel will get a second chance after they die. I'm serious. And they go to this passage to do it. So you may think it's a minor point, but know that because you may run to some of your evangelical friends that point to this and say, see, Christ went down and preached to them, and they'll get a second chance now. That's not what it's saying. He goes on, then he says, who were eight persons who were brought safely through the water. Now he makes a, a typological connection. And corresponding to that, what? The flood and the ark. Baptism now saves you be careful. See, well, see, I told you Peter says, says things in remarkable ways and heretics jump on it. Okay, Baptism now saves you. What? Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, I mean, he's jumping all over the map. You know, he's going, okay, look, what you have to understand is if God wills that you suffer even like Noah, the ridicule, just remember... The Spirit of Christ is is preaching the Gospel. These people will end up in prison and pay for it. But you, if you're one of the eight, you will come through. Why? Because baptism, you know, symbolic in the flood really is what? Christ is the ark. If you're in Christ, you are saved because your appeal of a good conscience Then Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers, demonic powers, have been subjected to him. And earthly powers too. Pretty clear and simple. (laughs) Peter's all over, you know. But but it all ties together because here's the picture again. What's the... Christ is the victor. Right? Right? He's the victor against these hostile forces that are armed against you that are trying to nail you to a wall or maybe even to a cross. And it's better for you to stick with Christ and Noah and your baptism than to go back to being a pagan. See, the temptation would be is, wasn't that the early church? Caesar is Lord. Oh, I have my hands behind my back, you know. Kind of my fingers crossed, so I really say Caesar is Lord, but don't mean it. I know Jesus is Lord. No, no, no. You have to have an appeal for a good conscience. So what do you do? If it's God's will that you suffer, that rare case, stick with Christ, because Christ is victorious. He's victorious. He's been victorious in Noah's day. He's victorious now. He'll be victorious to the end. You better side with the winning forces. That's what he's really saying. It's better to side with the winner, Jesus Christ, than with the losers. Okay, well, let's wrap this up because again, it's a it's a warm morning. It's either warm or, or, warmth or flies. That's the choice here in terms of. Okay, so he says, look, don't retaliate, don't panic under attack, and stick with the victor. Realize the victory that Christ has won. And finally, he says. You must arm yourself with the same mentality as your commanding officer. That's really what he's saying verses uh, the fourth chapter to end this section. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh. What did, did Christ suffer in the flesh? Of course he did. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. This wasn't a picnic for him. Do you think that becoming a man was, was good for Jesus? I use this analogy, I don't think it works real well, but it 's the best I can come up with. It'd be like God asking you to become a cockroach to redeem cockroaches. Now it breaks down because cockroaches aren't made in our image,, but, okay? but it's that kind of condescension. You know, for Jesus to become a man was no promotion. Okay? It would be, go redeem them. I mean, you know, human reaction would be, what? Redeem them? Up the ante, Father. (laughs) Give me something a little more than that. Are you kidding? That's what I get for dying. Christ came here to suffer. He didn't come to be happy. He gave up family life. He gave up comforts. He gave up all. And then he went to the cross. Jesus had a war mentality. He came here as a living sacrifice. There was no thought of Him, well, I might get through this without it. He suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same purpose. You see? Again, we go back. Battle mentality. Arm yourself with the same mentality that Jesus Christ. Because He who has what? Suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That's a little difficult, but I think what he means is, through your union with Christ, you've died to sin. And if you are united with Christ and you live that out, you will have suffered in this flesh a battle against sin. And if you win that, then you'll cease from sin. Never perfectly, but that's the gist of what he's saying. Radical sanctification. So as to what? Live the rest of the time in the flesh, in the body, No longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. There it is. Living for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. Having pursued what? The course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. You ever notice some of our covenant kids? Oh, I'm going to get chipped out of life. Eh, wrong attitude. If you get started now, you won't have a lot of scars. See, see, God's perspective is you had enough time for all that, right? Now you're a Christian. Don't waste your time in that stupid, wicked stuff that you used to do before you became a Christian. You see, you had plenty of time for that. Don't waste your time now. Now, arm yourself with this. I'm a soldier of the cross, okay? I have to die to my own sin as well as fighting other people's sin. That attitude. Arm yourself with the attitude of Christ. See if not, you know what's going to happen? You might party with the enemy, right? Isn't that the tactic Satan often uses? Remember Balaam? He was a dude, wasn't he? Talk directly with God talk directly with God, and he gets killed. You know why? Remember? I cannot go and curse these people. God won't let me. So then what does Barak do? Barak, isn't it? I always get those names. Barak sends more. More messengers with more money and more prestige. And he goes, well, God wouldn't let me, but let me just check just in case. Right? So what does God say? go. But then what's God do? He waits in the way to kill him. He had already said, I don't want these people cursed. Okay, and so Balaam's riding along on the donkey, remember? Da-da-da-da-da. And all those th- things happen with the donkey and finally, I mean, you know, the guy's really angry. He's beating the donkey and then the donkey starts talking to him. Eh, stupid on you know, he's not real smart. What happens? Why well, i your faithful donkey. All these years, Why are you beating me? He never stops to go, you know, all these years this donkey hasn't spoken to me. (laughs) He doesn't. He just keeps on going. Remember what the text says? Well, it's because you crushed my foot against the wall, you dumb donkey. Never thinking, my donkey's talking to me. And then he looks up, and then the angel of the Lord manifests himself. Isn't Isn't that the irony of God? It says in the New Testament, he rebuked the madness of the prophet through the donkey. The donkey can see the angel of the Lord, and he goes, Oh, you don't want me to go, do you? See, he gets the idea. And so the Lord says to him, You're going to go, but you're only going to say what I tell you. And yet we're told later on, the Israelites killed Balaam. Why? Remember your biblical history? What did Balaam do? We're never told he did it, but you can infer. Didn't he tell them how to how to, how to dwarf them anyway? Yes. What did, what did he do? He told to take the best looking and dress them in the and walk them the gym. Well, maybe a little historical extrapolation, but pretty close. <laughs> he said, "Get them drunk and get them worshiping an idol, and God will kill them for you." That's what he did. And thousands of them died and Israel killed them because the guy was so caught up with wanting the prestige and the money he tried to work his way around God. Now, you want to talk about a person who is headlong on destroying himself that you could do a whole case study on that guy. But that's exactly one of the tactics of Satan. You will be ineffective if you are drunk in bed with someone, or compromising your moral structure. You had plenty of time time to do that idiotic, wicked stuff before. Don't waste time. Think like Christ. Arm yourself with that mentality. Why? Because the world's going to be surprised. Look at four or five. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation. But they even go one better. See, they're not just shocked. First of all, they're shocked. Why? You don't want a boogie? You don't want a party? What's with you? Are you the geek of the week? What, what's the matter with you? Don't you know how to have fun? Life's short. Ever see that wicked bumper sticker? Life's too short. To be guilty. My response is eternity's too long not to be forgiven. (laughs) See, but but they're shocked. What's wrong with them? But then they go one step further. They malign you. See? They malign you. They won't be satisfied until they destroy your reputation. But they, Peter comes right back, but they shall what? They will give account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And when you're out there and you're fighting and they're getting on you and they're making fun of you and you feel like an idiot, just remember, judgment day is coming. Who do you fear? Them or the Lord? You've got to remember the judge is coming. Arm yourself with this. I want to die to my sin. Therefore, I'm going to arm myself. Beloved, I often use Hebrews 12 with people in counseling, but it comes out here. I have never seen a Christian that God has ever failed when they get to this point. I would rather die in my battle against this sin than to remain a slave to it. Never in all my years of ministry in the Gospel have I ever seen a person that does not overcome their sin when they get that serious. Remember the peas like hockey around? When you play with dying to sin, you don't get very good results. Now, I don't mean suicide or self-pity, but I mean this, Lord, if I have to have a coronary, if I have to have a stroke, if I have to die in my battle against this sin, so be it. But I do not want to remain a slave to this sin anymore. And I have rarely seen Christians get that serious. But when they do, God never fails to deliver them. That's what Peter's talking about. Arm yourself with this mind. Just like Paul says, you know, arm yourself with the humility, you know, Philippians 2. Here it is. Arm yourself with the mentality of Christ. I'm here to fight sin and to defeat it. Now, for us as sinners, we don't come in with a sinless character, but we can say, God, I want to be holy. I want to be pure. I don't care if people laugh at me. I want to please you. And that's all there is to it. God will give you victory. That is what Peter is talking about. You must arm yourself with Christ, your commander's mentality, his mindset, his purpose. And you notice how the Lord lived? His disciples understandably freak out right there in the boat. I mean, they're fishermen. They know this is serious stuff. You know, the water's coming over the edge. They're going to go under. And Jesus is what? Asleep. And they say, Don't you care? It's not that he doesn't care. He goes, I'm not going to drown. It's not time, it's the cross. Hush, should be still. He's in the middle of the temple. You, being a mere man, you make yourself out equal to me with God. And it astounds me again that JWs or anybody could think, I keep saying this because I'm preaching through John, that they'd stone Jesus for being any other God than Jehovah. Can you imagine if Jesus goes, I'm Zeus. Oh, yeah. What Jew would get upset with, with, with Jesus claiming to be Zeus or Zoroaster? No, he's claiming to be Jehovah God. And so they pick up stones and he says, I mean, you know what he says? I would have said, I'm out. I'm I'm out of here. (laughs) He goes, "Uh, excuse me, for what good deed are you going to stone me? I mean, they got stones in their hands and he's talking to them. And then he walks out in the midst of them. Now again, the supernatural power of God was there. That's true. But the fact of the matter is Jesus did not panic. Don't you understand? He had a job to do. He knew he was the son. He knew what was going on. We don't know the day of our death the way he did and the method of our death. But we certainly know this as much. We will not die one second before God has ordained it. And so in that sense, we are just as safe as Jesus Christ. I mean, you don't want to be foolish. I often think I love birds. You know, and I birded Mount Palomar and I was out here early today and I wonder, well, will a mountain lion get me? Now, you shouldn't be foolish you know, and, and tempt God. But on the other hand, I always come back to this. I'm not going to get knocked off by a mountain lion if God doesn't want me to. The fact of the matter is, God has our life in our hands. Now, let's go through this and, and we'll, we'll pray and break for lunch. Our great defense is this. We're not to retaliate. We're not to panic under pressure. What are we to do? We are to realize that Christ has won a great victory and therefore we are to be ready to give a testimony to everyone who asks us why. And we are to arm ourselves with the same mentality to Christ. Said, I'm here not on a vacation. I'm not here just to be happy. I'm not here just to have fun. I'm not here for other people to make my life comfortable. I'm here to battle sin so that God will be exalted and people will be saved. Isn't that radical? I often don't think that radically, that biblically. That's why I lose under pressure. I lose under pressure. I end with this. Uh, a lot of you know, know me and you know that I do have a template. Raleigh really made me feel real good when he reminded me. You know, Skip, the first memory I, the earliest memory I have of you when you were in Wilmington was standing at second base arguing with an umpire during the church league. Now, it didn't get much better when I got to Harmony because one Sunday I had to get up in front of the whole congregation and ask their forgiveness because the Previous week, I had yelled at an umpire and created a big scene in a softball game. Things didn't change much, did they, Rob? Okay. And if anything I preach is, you've got to submit to authority. You don't argue with authority. <clears throat> now, I will tell you, this stuff really works. Rarely for me, but it does work. <clears throat> when I go into a sporting event, realizing, A, that God has not died and left me boss. I'm not the umpire. And, two, my testimony to that umpire is more important than winning the game. I make it, and I do a decent job. But when I go in there with a different priority, which is A, either winning, or if I'm not playing, B, justice must be done. The game must be called perfectly. And of course, the only one that knows that is me. <laughs> see, I can see all, and know all, and call all. But he can't. Now, it's a very simple illustration, but it's very powerful. When I go in there conscious that God is watching, that my moral conduct is more important than the final score, and that I am there to bring glory to God and blessing to others, I handle it differently. You see? It's that simple, that profound. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or play ball, do all to the glory of God. Arm yourself with this mentality of Christ. And then people will go, how could that guy be called out when he was safe by a mile and he got up and he blessed the umpire instead of cursing him? We need to be like Jesus Christ, not Billy Martin. Okay? And that goes for baseball, baseball, It goes for family relations, it goes for church relations, and it certainly goes for a relationship with pagans. Let's pray. Father, it is really embarrassing when we measure ourselves next to the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to live and die in our place and win our eternal salvation. And Lord, we make driving on the freeway and ball games and a whole host of small things, uh, Lord, extraordinarily important when they are very insignificant. Lord, you have told us to really fix our hope upon our eternal position in Christ. And Lord, you are a marvelous God. and We thank you that you forgive and forgive. But help me, help us not to harden ourselves. Help us not to be like our evangelical brethren who create a whole new category, the category of besetting sin. It's not in the Scripture, but Lord, like so many oysters, we make peace with our pains in our necks and we coat and coat and coat our sin until it becomes a beautiful pearl that kind of sits there and we can kind of tolerate the irritation. Lord, some of us are so full of pearls (laughs) that we can't see that, Lord God, we have become ineffective. Lord, uh, we don't work well under pressure because what's extracted is still an awful lot of the remnant of the flesh. Pray particularly for myself. Lord, there's a double um, duty for me as a minister of the gospel to be gentle, to able to exhort those that contradict so perhaps you might give them the gift of repentance. Help me, help all of us, Lord, to live in your presence, to arm ourselves with the knowledge that you have won such a great victory that everyone is subjected to you and even our victimizers are going to one day stand before your throne and answer for what they do in the flesh. And so, Lord, we need to fear You, not them. We need to fear that we would offend You, not that justice will not be done, because justice will be done. Help us, Lord, to side with Enoch, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, Lord, with David, with all the saints of all the ages who have been dumped on, who have been persecuted, who really have stood with You because they have the Spirit of Christ. And may we put all our hope in our baptism, Lord, the cleansing of our flesh, the cleansing of the old ways, and help us to stand with Christ, to fight the battle against sin, and then to see the victory that You will give us. O oh Lord, make us humble people, but bold people, who will always be ready to give a reason for the hope, because that hope burns within us and is clearly before our eyes. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.